The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. False prophets among the people, as even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destu- destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of, the way, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God, who did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who, oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows that how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto punishment for the day of judgment. Who knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation? The Lord. Lord. Good. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the rages of unrighteousness as those who counted pleasure to crowds in daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deception while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his sin. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of terror forever. But when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom the person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. 
for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Can you hear that? It would have been better not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from that holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow being washed wallows in the mud. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will willingly forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, and is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Then turn over to verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in peace without spot or blameless and blameless and considering that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according in the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of Scripture. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware. Lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, in no way am I adequate today to break the bread of life. And Lord, I feel such an urgency in my spirit, Jesus. I pray today, oh Jesus, you would come and you would speak to each of our hearts Speaking in me, soften my heart, Jesus, so eternal realities are more real to me 
than the world around me that I can touch and taste and see and feel. Jesus Try pulling the truths from the heart of the Apostle Peter who walked with you. Drive them home to our hearts today. And Lord, don't ever let us be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> These are hard truths to share today. Peter is writing... This is his last epistle before he entered into eternity and before he was put to death. Tradition said he was hung upside down by his own choice and was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die as the Lord Jesus had died. He is writing to people of the diaspora who were scattered throughout the whole land, all the land like um, Turkey and all that land in there. He is writing to people that have suffered persecution and are going to suffer more persecution. He is writing to people separated from the main base in Jerusalem. He is writing to people who know what it means to bear the cross to follow Jesus Christ. And he's written them one letter and he said, hang in there. This is not all there is. The best is yet to come. These sufferings and sorrowings are, not, are just a beginning and they're not worth anything in the long picture. And then he said, love one another fervently. Remember the end of 1 Peter. Don't let anything attack your Christian unity. Then in 2 Peter he says, his divine power has given everything that he, we need for life to live life and to live it with godly responses. A phenomenal, phenomenal statement. And then he tells us what we're supposed to add to our life. We're to have faith, which is the background rock. You and I come to believe that even though we cannot see the Lord Jesus as Peter the Apostle did, that even though we cannot see him, we believe that he, he alone is God, and we worship him. And he said, on that groundwork of faith, we add to it knowledge. And to knowledge, um, what is it? Perse no. To knowledge, goodness. And to goodness, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness and love. That's what we looked at last week. And if those attributes of God's nature are being incorporated in your nature and in my nature, our lives will be fruitful and productive for the kingdom. Now that's the whole first chapter. Tremendous, tremendous chapter. Then he gets into the second chapter. And I don't even know how to share this adequately. We're just going to have to trust Jesus to open it up. Because he says, why is it, he doesn't say this, but I'm saying it, why is it that there are so few of us living in the point of chapter 1? So that out of our lives flow perseverance and self-control and godliness and brotherly kindness and love and incredible faith. Why is it that those attributes are lacking in our lives? Because he says his divine power gives us everything we need no matter where we live. 
to live for God. And then he goes into chapter 2 and 3. And these are the last words of the dying apostle. And they are hard words. And what he says is, where we miss the boat is false teachers will come in. And he said, you and I need to be aware of false teachers and false prophets and that we do not pick up the culture around us and gospel talk that strips the gospel of the cross and the necessity of laying down our will and dying to our will and living for the will of God. And you and I will look every place to find an easier gospel because we don't want the way of the cross. We don't want the way of the cross. And the way for fruitfulness and productive life is that you and I surrender our will to his will and die to ourselves. And he said there will come in that there needs to be an easier way. Now I find this very interesting that this, we end here at the end of our year together. And some of you are getting ready to go out just like these Jews did. You're going out all over. Like Carrie going to Palau. We're going to have people going all over. And so that we're going to have people that we know and love that are going to be in different parts of the world and different parts of the United States. And so that these are very applicable to our lives as you face going out maybe where you don't even know anyone else. We need to keep a home base here like Peter did to say, wait a minute, you are not alone and you are identified with some people back in Wilmore who love Jesus and want to go through with Jesus Christ no matter what it costs. And I remember a phrase from language school in Spanish. It said, cuesta lo que cuesta. Cost what it may, whatever it costs, I will go through with him. So he says, what do we need to be aware of? He said, false teachers will come in with destructive heresies. They will deny the Lord who brought them. And he said, we need to be aware of it. And they will, they will wallow in deception and destructive ways, and the truth will be blasphemed. False teachers are people who have known the truth and who have walked away from it and have not wanted the cost. And he said the main reason for that is because of covetousness. We want what we don't have. Now, it may be that it's covetousness because of we want power. I want a following. You want a following. You want to go to that church and have people like you. We all want people to like us. And it's easier to just tone it down just a little bit what Jesus says, that the cost of discipleship just be a little bit easier. And so we don't hold on to what's really true. And so he said, what we have to do is watch that we don't go and build our own little kingdom, whether it's in the neighborhood, whether it's in the country club, whether it's in the church, wherever God's called you, whether it's in your country, wherever it is that we don't go building our own little kingdom building, but that, there's this, that we want followers or even friends. There needs to come a place in your life and my life that we are willing to go the lonely way if that's the way of the cross so that you and I can say, Jesus, I choose you. Now you're going to need some networking. 
if where you're going there's nobody else that understands how you function because you are going to march to a different drumbeat and people aren't going to understand. And it's going to easy, be easy to say, well, I love Jesus, but I, I sure am lonesome and Jesus wants me happy. Now that may not happen in every case, but you and I need to come to the place that we aren't ensnared there. Or you and I may come to the place that we're in ministry and you may already be there. You were experiencing a call that you did not quite want. And it's not quite what you expected. And you're going to a place that wasn't in your game plan at all. And there's something in you that recoils and rebels against it. And you and I need to go to a And already you're feeling the bullet biting the bullet of what it means to walk the way of the cross. And you think, Lord, I don't want to do that. And there are going to be days that you're in Christian ministry where it may be that you have, you, you think, I've been in seminary where I've had more months than money year after year. I am so ready to have more money than month. And so you get into the pastorate and you begin to try to make ends meet and you find, well, I haven't, this hasn't changed much from seminary days. And you may handle it all right the first two years, the first three years, the first four years. But you get into 35, 40, and you think, wait a minute, I've had my belly full of this. There must be another way. Jesus, you're not providing in the way that I think you should. Subtle things that make us lose our passion for Jesus to say, no matter what it costs, I will persevere, and if I perish, I perish. Can God do that in us? Can he do it in me? I read an article last night by Dennis Appleby, who's a missionary at large, a pastor to the missionaries in the World Gospel Mission. I wish you could hear him preach. It's a beautiful idea World Gospel Mission has to pastor their missionaries. And this man walks with God. He said, what I find often, very often as I work with missionaries, some of God's choicest people, said that they find, if I could, I'm tired of, of being on the field. If I could take a vacation with my friends, if I could see my mom and my, my, my kids could see their grandmom, if I could just go home and have a church where everybody speaks English, if I could just, I'm just tired of paying this price. And do you know, I remember when we were coming home from, we were, I came home for Denny's wedding, and I remember listening, they had someone and I remember walking out of the church service right in this building. I said, it is costing me everything at this moment to follow Jesus Christ. I said, I, I don't want to be in Columbia. It's so hard. I don't want to go back. It's so hard. I don't, they talk about cheap grace. I don't want the way of the cross. And I remember sitting in that service and I just walked out in the middle of the preaching. I said, Jesus, this is not what I intended for my life at all. I don't mind serving you, but I don't like it when it hurts. I want to be home near my mom. I want to raise my kids in the States. I want to, I want to, I want to. And boy, before I ever got back to Columbia, God said to me, are you willing to go anywhere? 
Are you willing to surrender those very children you are seeking to save? Are you willing to put them on the altar and trust them to me? Are you willing to pay the price? And if I move you, that's one thing. But do, are you willing to stay where I put you until I move you? And in that time of that whole time, there came a deeper death to self and a deeper death of my will from my life to Jesus Christ. Now, in my case, Jesus didn't leave me there. But I know other people that God has left there, and they, they cry when they have to come home. They say, Lord, I don't want to be in the States. I want to be where people are hungry for God. I want to be on the front line for God. Please don't bring me back here. Because those God calls, he equips. And ultimately, the place God puts you and I in his will, when you and I get our hearts squeaky clean and white hot for God, the place God puts you and I in his will, you will be as happy as a little pig in the sunshine or a little duck in the pond. God has made you for his will. What he is trying to do is get rid of our selfish self-will and selfish nature and the desire that I want control. Now, I'll never forget one time, and I've said this before even this year, but I'll never forget it. One of the girls the first year we met, just in the middle of Bible study, blurted out and said, I need Jesus to take all of my heart. And not my heart, but my whole will. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She said, I don't know what you ladies have got, but I don't have it, and I need it. Just the middle of the lesson. And I said, oh, so we all stopped and gathered around her, and everybody praying over top of her, and I remember kneeling right down and looking her straight in the eye. And I said, honey, what is the bottom line thing God is saying to you that you're holding on to? And she looked me straight in the eye, the most honest answer I think I ever got. And she said, I want control. And I said, that's the key. I said, are you willing to surrender control? And sobbing began to occur, and she said, yes. And it was right here in this room God met her. Right here in this room. And I think Peter is saying, the hour is short. Some of you are going far away, and it's going to be, compromise is going to be what we want to do. Just water it down. Just not quite follow the way of the cross. Not quite believe all of Scripture. Not quite be so fanatical. But there's going to need to come in your life, not a fanaticism, but a person and a woman grounded in the Word of God who is absolutely in love with Jesus Christ above every other passion in her heart. So that you and I, Peter, knew Jesus as Lord. And Peter knew him as the living word. But he also lived and knew him. As, and, and we need to know him in our hearts as the living word. And then we need to live in the written word. So that we have the word in our souls. And the point of reference for our lives is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything else is not being what God intended. But you and I begin to move into that and there'll be a fullness of the Holy Spirit. And do you know what will begin to happen? The actions and activity of the evil one will be thwarted. It says in Jeremiah 1, 5, 1, it says, Go through the streets of Wilmore, the streets of Lexington, and see if you can find one woman, one woman, one woman who will stand for justice and judgment and will seek my face. And he said the judgment that's coming on our nation will be averted if he can find one. 
I love Jesus Christ with the tremendous value he puts on your individual life and my individual life. He does not need massive groups of people. If he can get one heart for God that says, it is all you, Jesus, no matter what it takes, do you know what will happen? The forces of hell will be forced to be different. And he gives some examples of that very thing. He says the judgment is coming on those of us who compromise and do not, who not walk the walk and talk the talk, but do not walk the walk. But he also says, just like angels he judged, Isaiah 14, Lucifer fell and his angels, they just fell. And the judgment of God came, and the judgment of God is coming in deeper measure. He said if he does not fail to judge angels, he said he will judge you and I if you and I do not walk the way God wants us to walk. And then he said, he said just like Noah, the whole, the, the, he built the world and then every thought of their heart was evil continually. So do you know what he said? He said there was only one man. How many men? One. One man who was a preacher of righteousness and his name was Noah. And his whole family was saved. Then he gives another illustration that's always made me uncomfortable. Lot. Lot living in Sodom who said his righteous heart was vexed. But pray tell me why Lot was in Sodom. He chose to be there. And maybe he was vexed, but that man left Abraham, and he went to Sodom, and he wasn't just outside. He ended up sitting in the city gate. It was his choice. And what happened? His soul may have been saved, but every single member of his family was damned. He lost them all. And he ended up with his two daughters committing incest with him when he was in a drunken stupor. You and I cannot play tightly with God. You and I, it says at the end of this chapter too, it makes me weep. It says, if you know the ways of Jesus Christ and you and I compromise and turn back, it would be better that you had never heard and that I had never heard. Those are hard words. But you know we play tight with Jesus Christ. We play lightly with the things of God. Do you know this morning I read to my kids before they went to school, we read sacred stories sometimes, and it was a quote from Amos that says, the judgment of God is coming where there will be a famine in the land for the word of God. And then it gave an illustration of, the, of Evans, who's the preacher and um, the head of Greater European Mission, a godly man who went after the war, and God used him to establish Greater European Mission. And he said he was preaching in Poland before the wall fell, the freedom came. And he said people came <laughs> and responded, he and a team, and he preached to the first batch and he preached salvation. And they listened and, found, and all of them found the Lord. Then they lined up, they left, and there was another batch outside. And then another batch outside until it went on for six and a half to seven hours. And he said, we couldn't even talk. We were exhausted. He said the hunger for God's word. And he said they had never, ever heard. And he said they were just, and when he said we left in the middle of the night, they were queued up outside waiting patiently to hear. And he said, my heart was broken. And while I was in this daze at the re hunger for the word of God, he said, an 80-year-old man came up, and he pulled at me very hard. And my interpreter said, he said to the interpreters, I said, what is he saying? And he took out of his pocket a very fold, 
folded page. And it was crinkled and very carefully folded. And he unfolded it and he said, could you please tell me, is this part of the Bible? And it was a page from Exodus. And he said, yes, it's a page from Exodus. He said, could you tell me what the next page says? And the man said, yes. And he said, this is the whole book of God's word. And he put into his hands his own Bible. And the man, for the first time in 80 years, held God's word in his hands and wept. And wept. He said, I knew it was God's book because he said there was something so different about that one page. Now, God is, that is the reality of who God is and the, what God demands in our respect. And we live in an instant culture where we can get Bibles in every corner in every bookstore, and we have come to God with a frivolousness and an insensitivity and a triteness to the things of God. And Peter says here, if you think that will go on, you and I are living in an illusion because judgment of God is going to come. And if we are not walking the way God intends us to walk, according to his word, judgment will come, just like it came on Lot, and the end is not yet. Judgment stage still comes. So we need to be careful of our choices and there is going to be, if you and I are going to have a wider place of the person of Jesus Christ and the Christian life, there is going to have to be an intense narrowing of our interests in our life so that there comes into our life, we cannot do the good things. We cannot do the better things. There's going to have to be a commitment in our life to that that is eternal and is on the heart of God for us. Now that doesn't rule out peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or nursing babies, or reading stories. But that means you and I begin to peel off some of the frivolous things that we cannot do anymore. What do you watch 10 o'clock at night when you, re when you relax? Don't. Just turn it off. <laughs> and crawl into bed and read and pray before you go to bed. And pray for the ones you love, and pray for the world, and pray for the nation. And pray for those that are on the front line, like Hope Owsley today from Brazil. Pray. So that you say, that's good. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. And out of that narrowing of our interests, do you know what will happen? There will be an intense, wider place of the person and presence of Jesus Christ in your life and in my life. And do you know what the things of God will become more real than the things here? And you will begin to see lives change people you just casually meet, people in the grocery store, they will say there's something different about that woman and I need to know what it is and I need to know Jesus Christ. Are you that kind of salty Christian? Do you make people hungry for you? Or are there things in you that are keeping you from all God's God? He says it's better you never knew than if you come up to an hour of decision and you draw back because there's one thing that's an inexorable principle in Christian, in, in the moral universe in which we live. If God gives us light and we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him and one another, and he gives us more light. But if you're at a point where God's giving you light and you're holding back at any point, 
You will not go on into more light. You will go back and back and back and back until your very soul is at stake and the souls of everyone you love. And Peter shares this with an urgency on his soul. Then he gives the example of Balaam over here in verse um, 14. He said, Balaam loved. So he told the people, he said, go home. said, I can't have anything to do with you. So they went back to King Balak and said, wait a minute. He said he wouldn't come. So what did Balak, the king of Moab, did do? He sent more people to come and bigger um, prizes and gifts and more lavish and said, oh, please reconsider. Now, he'd already heard, but what did he do? He went back to God and God said, he gave him what he wanted. He said, if you want to, if you go, you have to say what I say. And Balaam had a choice. He knew what God wanted, but he didn't want to do it. And so what did he do? He went with him. And remember, that's the incident when the angel of death came and the donkey kept Balaam from getting killed by going out of the way and Balak was, Balaam was beating the donkey. And finally, the donkey spoke and said, why are you giving me such a hard time? I'm saving your life. And the Lord opened his eyes and Balaam saw the angel of death. And then he went and he, he blessed the Israelites and took the gaff from the king of Moab but only temporarily. And he said, I'm a, and do you know what happened? In verse 20, chapter 25 of Numbers, he, he advised the king of Moab to just make friends with the people of God. And by making friends, they got into immorality, and they, they worshipped the Baal of Peor, and, and that's when they offered their children and sacrificed the Moabites did to the gods. And, and God was so, and he is Balaam three times in scripture. They talk about this prophet who walked with God and ended up bringing such destruction on the people of God because he compromised. And not only compromised, he lost his faith ultimately. And, and the judgment of God came upon him. Do you know I was in college? And I, 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 I was dating this precious guy. And it was one of those times that God spoke to my heart. And we, we were in Georgia and at Indian Springs. And we'd been dating a while, and I just liked him. And I thought, oh, this would be just the right man for me. Jesus, I know. Well, it was a beautiful moonlit night. We're walking across this bridge in a state park, and all of a sudden, the clearest voice came to my inner heart, Beth, this is not the man. And I thought, now that's the stupidest thing. I mean, there's nothing in this that should produce that response. And I thought, oh, that, why would I even think that? And I just swallowed real big, and I thought, no. That, and then I said, Beth, this is not the man. And I knew it was Jesus. And I said, Jesus, in my heart, walking across that bridge, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> and he said, well, he's not the right one. He's a good one. But he said, he's not the one for you. And you're, you're, it's not, it's, I'm not in this. And 
and I said, I don't want to hear that. And it was clear as if I'd heard it from you. So I swallowed it, and I pretended I didn't hear it. And I, I just went on anyway. I still loved Jesus, but I just wasn't obeying. And I still loved Jesus, but not quite as much. And I thought I knew a little bit better than he did how to run my life. Have you ever been there? And I just said, so I just didn't listen to him. When we got real close, I just didn't get real close anymore. And I just kept up all the form, but I didn't want to hear what he had to say to me. And um, do you know, I did that for a little over a year. And um, the, it never went away. <coughs> I knew. Well, then I, I began to think, God, one night I went to this very church. They were having revival. And um, the preacher spoke. And do you know who he had the audacity to speak on? Balaam. And how Balaam walked with God, and then God asked him to do something very difficult and that had no glory or self-interest in it, that he could have just helped his pocketbook out and the building fund and all kinds. And he, had to, oh, and he didn't obey him. And as I walked out of that church, the Lord said to me just as strongly, but just as lovingly, Beth, Cop Beth Kinlaw at that time, you are a Balaam. And it shattered me. It shattered me. It shattered me. He broke through every bit of pretense and lie I was living. And I remember going home to my in my dorm room and getting down and I said, Lord, I am. But I don't know how to get out of it. My emotions are so involved. And I want you to make this your will. And he said, well, it's not right. And it will hurt you. And I love you. Will you trust me and let it go? And I said, Lord, I can't even do that. If I'm to get out of this relationship, you will have to do it for me. But I give you permission to do it in my life and for me. I said, Lord, please don't let me be a Balaam. Painful. One of the most painful things I ever had to do at that time. You know, I are it. 20 years, I decided I'd die. But, and God did. He, he worked for me. And, I, and, and every time, and, and he, he extricated me as I just kept coming, saying, God, let me obey, let me obey. I don't want to be a Balaam. And I can only say, Jesus, I just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. At that point in my life, you, you helped me and you were so honest with me that you didn't just cover over my sin so that I would ruin my life and ruin the life of another, but that, Jesus, I could press on into your full will for me and the husband that God has for me. 
And all I can do is say, praise you, Jesus. Praise you. Now, there may be some of you today that you know very clearly what God is asking you to do. But you're like I was. You are swallowing it and hoping it goes away someplace deep in your inner psyche or that God will change his mind. And it is not because God is mean or that he doesn't love you. It is because he does love you and he wants his best for your life. And his best is always good and it is always right. And God says, I want to take the Balaam out of your heart and mind, the compromise. And I want to make you and I single-minded so that out of our lives, Jesus shines and there is a commitment to Jesus. He said, not only will you have false teachers and false prophets, but in verse 5, he said, you'll have scoffers who'll come. And that may be hardest where people laugh at you and say, I don't, you're just silly, or you're just too religious, or you're just crazy, or just laugh at, or say, God hasn't answered prayer. Look, he said he would come back, and Jesus hasn't returned again. And scripture says, the day with the Lord is, is a thousand years, and God's workings are sometimes so slow. But it doesn't mean God's not working. And you and I need to hold on even when we can't see we need to hold on and hold on and hold on so that we can hold on to him until God brings it to pass. Even just like the second coming, it still hasn't occurred, but I know it's coming. I know he's coming. There'll come some that'll say, you don't believe that. Why are you believing that? It's silly. Don't let go. Don't let go. I read last night about Thomas Edison. When he discovered the electric light bulb, he tried so many different things to find a filament that would burn, that would not burn up when the electrical current came through it. And he threw out his window till it got to the second floor of junk he'd thrown out year after year after year. But he did not stop. And we need to have that same kind of perseverance that even if we're holding on for God to work in a situation, even if we're holding on for him to work in our marriages, even if we're holding on for him to work in wayward children, or even just in children, thinking, will we ever get them raised, or can we do this? Even if we're just holding on, not to let go, but keep coming back to Jesus, coming back to Jesus, so that Jesus can make us successful in him. And as people say, you're crazy to live like this, say, no, the end is not yet. The best is yet to come. And he said, and I think God is wanting us to live in that kind of, full surrender and that kind of no compromise an easy gospel no compromise in our lives but total surrender to him now some of you may have made choices in the past we all have let me say some of you we all have made choices in the past that have been Balaam choices compromising ones but we haven't lived up to what we knew we were supposed to we are not stuck there 
The devil may say to you, well, you blew it. I bet you blew it. Don't listen to him. Jesus can cover all the past with his precious blood. Every single bit. Every bit. There's no pit so deep. There's no sin so deep. Jesus can't cover it all with his blood. And we need to just give it to Jesus. And then we need to say, Lord, I am listening for your voice. Take all the rest of the Balaam out of my heart. The past is under the blood, but the future is wide open to obedience to Jesus Christ. So, so that the enemy is not to bam us around there. Now, I have something I want to lay on your hearts. I want to challenge us today with two things. If you have not totally sold out to Jesus Christ, today is your day. Your spiritual birthday. Full surrender. D-Day. Right today. You don't have to leave this morning. Jesus can meet you wherever you are to let you be all God's. And intense narrowing of our interests so that we get to know Jesus Christ in all his fullness and sweetness. 